0: Hello friends and welcome to the Coffee and Deer podcast with Nick and the Doctor. Today we're going to be talking about deer recovery, but we're going to be talking about it in a unique way. Uh, Our guest today is going to be Mike Yoder of Drone Deer Recovery, and this has gotten pretty popular out there on the social media channels. You may have already seen or heard about it. Uh, He's got a pretty active YouTube channel. Uh, among other things. And I remember the first time I saw it, I was just fascinated. I immediately subscribed to his YouTube channel and we got him on the show. He's going to tell us all about locating uh, shot deer with a drone. So pretty cool stuff there. As always, the doctor is in the house, the doctor, Mr. Mike Groman Mike, how's school going so far?
1: It's going really well. I'm glad to be back, but lot more energized this year going into it for the second time because I know what I'm expected to do and I'm not having to ask all those questions. And It seems to flow so much easier second time around.
0: Yeah, I haven't been a person that switched jobs a few times throughout my career. I know exactly what you're saying. It's the first first year, you're still figuring out how to get to the bathroom, right? And then uh, from there, you just sort of learn and there's just, you just hit that really nice comfort level. Once you know where everything is, you know what to expect. And at that point, you can really just fly.
1: Right. And I'm teaching courses that I've taught for six years. So it's just assimilating those into a different institution. That's really what it's breaking down to. So not too bad. It's actually going well.
0: Yep. Glad to hear you're settled in. And I think just about everywhere in the country for the most part is back to school. So a lot of happy parents and unhappy kids. (laughs) So anyway, Hey, uh, this is an ask NDA anything episode. And so Mike, naturally this time of year, we start getting questions that are focused on pretty much deer hunting, deer hunting related. And we got several, I'm going to, I just picked two and depending on how many we get for the next time we may use some of the ones that uh that we also got for this week so hang in there if you submitted a question hang in there and uh, we will try to get to it but let's go ahead and get into these because I think they're both interesting and then we'll get to our interview uh so this one is from Hunter in Arkansas and I'm surprised we don't have more hunters (laughs) so many questions so uh Hunter from Arkansas he says I'm a newer archery hunter and I'm learning a lot last year I shot my first deer with a bow a doe and she fell within sight. I know that won't happen all the time, so if I hit if I hit a deer and it goes out of sight, how long do you typically wait before picking up the trail? Also, do you think it's harder to trail during the early season with all the vegetation? This is something I'm concerned about starting out the season this year.
1: Well Mike, do you want to go first on this one? Sure. I can go first and I will start off with you know hunter welcome to the fold and say that. How long you should wait is going to depend on how confident you are to identify your shot placement, so it, just in this scenario, Nick, if you want to talk about maybe bad shot placement i'll just do good and we'll just try and. split the difference, but if you know that you have made a shot into the highest concentration of vascularity heart lung area combination of both and. You know that you have two lungs versus one because one lung can be a weight of upwards of like eight to 10 hours so double lung and or clip the top of the heart, so you shut a full house and the deer runs off and out of sight, you should wait. At least 20 minutes up to 45 minutes is pretty much what we taught people when, when Nick and I were both instructors for the National Bowhunter Education Foundation so. Um, And then they said the sweet spot was about that 30 minute window, but anywhere from 20 to 45 minutes and then you're going to get down identify where the shot was try and find your arrow tracks hair some sign of blood and then begin your track job now with that being said, you said, is it harder in the earlier season and. I'm going to have to say that that all depends on the vegetation and the location, because sometimes. I found it easier to track deer if they were running through ferns let's just say because the blood was either on the top of the ferns Um, sometimes if they're running really hard they might flip the fern over but I always would notice it on my pant legs but when you're tracking in early season and there's a lot more vegetation make sure you're looking both high at the height of the shot so somewhere around like just about your knee high, knee height uh, in and around that way all the way to the ground and on the ground so looking at vegetation trees etc will make the earlier season track jobs much better and um nick i'll let you pick it up from there how's that sound
0: yeah i think just as a general rule of thumb i think even if you think you made not standing hit i think it's still good to wait 30 minutes Uh, If you have it, of course, if it's pouring down rain or about to rain or snow, like frankly, I ran into last year uh, in archery season, then you might want to pick it up sooner. Uh, Because I can tell you, and, and the doctor can tell you many times, someone will say, oh, I hit it perfect right in the, you know, right in the boiler room, only to find out that the deer was hit back in the liver or some other place. And so your eyes can play tricks on you. Um, so I think 30 minutes, even if you think it's a great hit, you want to use your eyes, you want to use your ears. A lot of times you can hear a deer go down. Um, for me, I think it is a little trickier to track in the early season for whatever reason, uh, you know, that especially a deer goes through a field that might still have high grasses in it. It's not easy to pick it out. Uh, just that the more vegetation as opposed to in the winter or in the, in the late fall, when all the leaves are on the ground, sometimes it's a little easier to pick it out. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's just a good general rule of thumb, the doctor's advice plus uh, just a general, hey, let's let's wait thirty minutes before we pick up the track,
1: and go from there. Do you want to talk about a, a hit that's a little bit more marginal, like liver?
0: Yeah, I mean, we could, we that, should do a actually, we should do a whole show on this. We don't have to actually because Brian Grossman just did it in Deer Season three sixty five, uh, had someone on talking about this. But yeah, I mean, they're depending also on where you hit the deer if you know. Uh, if you're uncertain or if you're if you're pretty certain you didn't hit it in you know like a double lung shot like a liver hit that's a hit that you're going to want you're going to want to let go at least four to six hours um, sometimes longer because it's going to take a while for that deer to bleed out it is a lethal shot for sure but it takes a while Uh, stomach hit deer uh, I try to give those deer as long as possible what you don't want to do is pick up the track too early, because if you jump that deer, it could run into the next county and you never find it. But what's likely to happen on a stomach hit deer is they're going to bed down very quickly, often within a hundred yards of where you shot it. And if you don't bother that deer, let's say you let it go 12 hours, if you can overnight, if it's cold enough, you're going to find it in that one, in that bed that he laid down in, which is, you know, that's, that's much better than jumping the deer and trying to blood trail a deer that's been hitting the stomach, very difficult. Um, and so those are two very common hits that happen uh, that people, I think, push too early. Uh, flesh wound, boy, that's a tough one. I mean, the odds of you recovering a deer on a flesh wound are very small. You hear different things about, well, you know, I try to push the deer and keep it bleeding. And I guess in theory, uh, you could get hit the jackpot and clip, a, clip an appropriate artery. But when you do that, uh, that deer is still going to expire very quickly because it's going to have rapid blood loss. So Yeah, different hits require different things. Listen to that episode of Deer Season 365. Uh, By the time you hear this, it'll be the last episode and gets into a lot more detail on this subject. All right, next question. Uh, This is Tabitha from Vermont. Uh, She says, I've always hunted from the ground because I'm afraid of heights, but it has been hard to get close enough with my bow. Uh, So this year I'm determined to get into a stand. My question is, how high do I need to be to be effective for deer? I I think I'd be okay up to 10 feet, but probably not more than that. Is that enough? Okay. So I remember the first time I had my wife tried to put her in a regular tree stand. And uh, I, I took for granted all the years that I've spent in those and I'm comfortable and she wasn't. And so I totally understand where you're coming from, Tabitha. Um, so this is also, most of these questions start with, well, it depends. So um, no, 10 feet is plenty. Especially if you've got good back cover. I can tell you that I have shot deer from less than 10 feet. Uh, I hunt in Delaware a lot with my good buddy Ron Hawes, and Ron will tell you sometimes he'll get up maybe six or eight feet or just up a little bit off the ground, depending on trying to uh, shoot through some of that low cover. And so I do think certainly you gain an advantage by being up in a tree. Uh, the higher you go, you can help, you can gain a little bit of a wind advantage, but you can also. Um, go too far. And then your angles become too steep. So I think if you can find a situation where you get yourself to 10 feet, your shooting angles are going to be pretty good. It's going to be a little bit better than being on the ground. And I think that's a good number to strive for in general.
1: Mike? I, I agree. And there's not really much to add. The only thing that I'll stress is the fact that something you said, which is cover is king. And a lot of the best hunters. I know for a fact I've heard Barry Wenzel on several occasions say that he has sat up eight feet to even sometimes where his feet are literally four feet off the ground. Like he's he's actually literally just a few feet off the ground but he had the appropriate cover because the location dictated that. So um, anywhere you know eight ten feet is plenty If you have cover to hide you so that you don't stick out like a sore thumb and you can move and draw your bow or pick up whatever implement you're using to hunt so um, that's really what I'd focus more on is the cover. The only other thing I'd add is that if you're pretty uncertain, maybe try a ladder stand take a few of the sections out. So that you feel like you're still connected to the ground, that might give you a little bit more security um, for yourself, so you can concentrate on your job at hand. But I ultimately, if you're not comfortable and all and all you're worried about is falling or how high it is, that's going to take away from your concentration to make an effective shot. So until you can get comfortable with that, stay on the ground. Be very be a great ground hunter because there are people that do that very very well. But if you're going to get up, cover as king and, and stay focused to where you're setting yourself up for success with the type of stand you choose.
0: And it's worth pointing out that September is Tree Stand Safety Awareness Month. So always, always wear a safety harness for sure. Great question. All right, Tabitha, you're getting the hat. We're going to send it to you. I think it's a good timely question with it being Tree Stand Safety Awareness Month and good luck getting up in the tree. I think you'll find... Frankly, it just comes down to experience and hours. The more time you spend there, the more comfortable you're going to get. So good luck with that. All right, folks, let's go ahead and get to the interview and bring in Mike Yoder with Drone Deer Recovery. I'm excited to have... Mike Yoder of Drone Deer Recovery joining the show here. He's a hunter himself. Uh, He has realized that using thermal technology was a great way to find down deer. He's gonna tell us about the start of his company. There's a good chance many of you listening here have seen his work on YouTube or maybe one of the other social media channels. It's been kind of a sensation, really. Uh, I know I follow it. I've been fascinated by it, Mike. it's, It's great entertainment, although I can certainly see all the hard work that goes into it from your perspective. And, uh, yeah, our, our good buddy CJ Winan from Bowhunter Magazine reached out and said, Hey, Mike, someone you ought to have on the Coffee and Deer show. So, uh, he did a nice article on you guys, and here we are. So, Mike, welcome to the show. And, uh, hey, there's a lot we want to get into, but if you don't mind, start us off with telling us a little bit about yourself.
2: Yeah, my name is Mike Yoder. Like he said, that I started Drone Deer Recovery. Uh, when I started it, I I knew that it's going to be something that, is going to catch on in the industry, but I would have never have thought that it's going to get this big, this quick. I mean, we haven't even made it to year one yet, and you know, across all platforms, a hundred thousand people have started following along, and tons of magazines and podcasts, like yourself, have reached out. So I feel honored to have uh, you guys. You know, want me on the show, but it's like I- I'm trying to learn this stuff as I go, as far as like. You know, how this thing start, we can get right into that if, if that's what you want to do. Absolutely. Yep. I don't know if you want the, the long story or the short story.
0: Well, I think, like I said, people are really fascinated by what you're doing, but I'm interested in hearing the long story. Just just sort okay. of take us
2: down the road. Yeah. So the long story is this is I, uh, I have a residential hazardous tree removal business, meaning I take down big trees around houses and stuff like that. I, I have that business and it's done well for me. Uh, I, I did I basically hit all my goals with that company and uh, I injured my back during working uh, one of one of those projects and it actually started getting to me and uh, I don't know why I did this but I started drinking and I, I was drinking more than a guy should and one day I was just down I was like this makes no sense what I'm doing um, I have more than I've ever wanted and I'm still not happy so I uh, I got on the phone with a buddy of mine, Jared Scheffler from Whitetail Drellin, and he had just gone through something like that as well, like a burnout stage with his company. And uh, me and him were talking one night. He's basically told me, like, I got to get back to doing something that I like to do and not just business related. And, and uh, so I, I prayed to the Lord. I was like, you know what? Give me something new, exciting, something that drives me, gets me going again. And uh, so a few days later, I was at a buddy of mine's uh, house and he does commercial roofing and he was talking about how he hired in a thermal drone from Columbus area to come inspect a a large roof to, you know, find leaks. And I was like, yeah, I thought about getting a thermal drone to do um, like find deer. And he's like, I think it'd be a great idea. And so I was like, here we go. I went out, bought an $8,000 thermal drone, made a video about it, took it to a small expo here at home and seen how the feedback was from the sportsman here. And I was like, dude, I got to go all in. And uh, before the season started, it was about mid-September. I went and bought a $20,000 drone and went all in.
0: That's a leap of faith, man. Like writing that $20,000 check. Like you were when, when you say all in, you were all in at that point. Yeah
2: was all and I, I told my wife i'm like here we go it's uh it's all i want to do at that point is just make enough to pay my drone on and that definitely happened uh it was only four weeks i, I had that thing paid off
0: well that's awesome my, my buddy there the, the co-host the doctor I, uh, when he was making his hunting video i know he spent some money on a camera and I, he handed it to me one time and is like okay it's your turn to film and i gotta tell you i sat there and i prayed that no deer would come because I'm so afraid to drop that thing. So, you know, Mike, I don't know. You remember those days very well, don't you? Just going all in on
1: something. Oh, oh, I do. I do. And and the one thing, Mike, I want to say before we get too far along the road is, you know, I appreciate your courage being able to, you know, admit the the troubles that you went through because I know that is um, something that kind of has a stigma to it. And so I yep. think at least you having the courage to say that might potentially help other people listening out there that when you are, at a low point, maybe making some decisions that aren't in your best or your family's best interest, you know, uh, there's always an upside if you just kind of, you know, pull pull yourself up by your bootstraps and kind of start slugging it out. And there's a lot of uh, reward at the end of the day if you can rearrange yourself. And so, Mike, congratulations for you to, you know, get where you are today.
2: Thank you. I appreciate it. It means a lot.
0: Yeah, and I was going to ask you, it's in my list here. I always have a list, but then I hear the answers and it takes me somewhere else. But I was going to ask you if you ever thought, it would get where it is today but i mean you you already answered that but really it was almost just yesterday that you even had the idea and now now it's kind of gone crazy so you know what so one of the things i think that's made you successful is you have this really cool presence on social media where like you're on there and you're just you you don't try to be someone you're not and you tell the story very well and succinctly and so it's like i said when i first Uh, a friend of mine forwarded me the first video of yours I ever saw, and I think it would have been early last hunting season, and then I immediately subscribed, and I I watch all your stories since then, and so was that a um, conscious effort on your part to say, hey, I need to be, I need to do social on this and make it a huge part of what I do?
2: Yeah, yeah, so it totally was, um, I I like creating content just in general. Like I've, I've been doing it uh, on another channel that I've I've had in the past. I like flying ultralights and stuff like that. So I've been doing it, but uh, never gained the traction that I you know have here. Basically, when I I started it, uh, came up with a name and that whole thing I was like I'm just going to dedicate me filming myself doing this and then putting it out there because at the time there wasn't there weren't many guys doing it there was uh a, a few guys doing it but they were kind of keeping it on the down low uh, but then I just wanted to create you know make a show out of it because I feel that it is important that these stories get told because these are the stories that have not yet been told in the industry when somebody hits a deer it's not like you know they're building a story on it. Hey, yeah, hit a deer, couldn't find it. You know it's it's lost. Who knows where it's at? Uh, where this is adding to that story that was, you know, was being told, but now we can we can end it in some way. Usually with the drones, and so I, I think that that's why so many people jumped on and started watching it is because it is the untold um, stories that don't get told, but now they can.
0: So your company is obviously growing. It's growing very quickly. I see you're adding pilots. You're in 15 states now. So this is a two-part question. What's what's the plan? So what's, what's sort of a growth plan? Where are you hoping to take this thing? And maybe you're not even sure yet. Maybe you're going to let it take you somewhere. And also, uh, you're not just doing deer recovery. You do some other cool stuff with drones. Tell us a little bit about that.
2: Yeah. Yep. So where is uh, where is it going? Um, It's already changed a few different times of where we thought it's going and how we're going to structure it. Um, So if if I where I think it's going right now could be different, you know, a few months down the road. But what we see right now is we have operators, uh, like you said, across 15 different states. And basically, they're coming in and they're getting trained and using the same equipment as I am. I'm training them everything I know. And then um, we're going to have this basically network of operators that if you're in, um, I don't know, Iowa, Kansas, Illinois, it doesn't matter. You can go to dronedearrecovery.com, fill out a form. And then the closest operator in that area will be sent that lead and then they can take care of it uh, from there. So I see a whole network of operators uh, right now. In the future, uh, my brain goes to like an Uber app, like, uh, a ta- like a taxi service. Basically, hunters will have the app on their uh, phone and then the uh, uh, operators will have it as well. And when something, a request comes in, it just pops up on their phone and then, you know, they will be connected like that. So that's that's where I see it going. The, we started off on the slow end having just licensed operators, and then we will have our own phone reps and stuff picking up those calls and then forwarding to them. That's uh, that's where we're going right now, but uh, hoping hoping to get to an app-type platform.
1: So, Mike, I'm going to jump in there. Let's talk about um, – can you just name off some of the states just to kind of um, perk everyone's interest who's listening in case like, oh, so that might be an option near me?
2: Okay, so we have uh, Wisconsin, Indiana, uh, Ohio, Pennsylvania. I believe we have New York, um, Tennessee possibly. I personally don't handle much of the licensing side myself because I'm uh, busy scaling another part of our company that we can get into. But uh, I can hop on to the website. If, if you go to the website, there's a map that we've created that gives you a uh, picture of where – operators are located
1: at all right well yeah. sounds good sounds like everyone needs to go there for sure one way or the other
2: yes yeah. yep
0: drone deer is where you'll find that nice and simple which is good and so uh speaking of the other aspects of your business i'm going to ask you about the the rodeo steer that you <laughs> recently tried to find which is on the youtube channel i'd encourage people to check that out because it's quite entertaining but um you had another aspect of your business, which I was completely unaware of until I started seeing it this summer and that's the agricultural side. So you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yep.
2: Yep. So what we uh, started doing, you know, one thing led into the next uh, in, in this drone industry is uh, using large drones to spray crop fields. Um, We did a ton of acres in Indiana. We did just over 11,000 acres with one trailer and, so I'm I'm just getting started with that and figuring out what is, you know, a good way to do it and being efficient and stuff. But I do believe that drones in the agricultural space will be, uh, will be the new thing. Meaning uh, as technology gets better, that uh, there will be, you know, areas that drones will replace airplanes and helicopters. They might not replace them all across, you know, all the land but there there's definitely space that they dominate in
0: Yep, fascinating now you're, you're in ohio right what part
2: yes i'm uh just south of canton ohio where the football hall of fame's at
0: yeah okay awesome i
1: uh mike, right, you so, look like you're mike coming i'm in. gonna jump in here yeah i'm gonna jump in here mike just because of something that was so and not that you probably need more ideas but i'm just gonna throw it out there um the past three years not this year three years prior to this we had a huge infestation of gypsy moths. So maybe even looking at single property pesticide dispersal for invasives or for uh, pests, uh, pest outbreaks, because we talked about helicopters. But we would have had to get like 12 landowners to actually rent the helicopter, fill the tanks for that amount of acreage. So a drone <laughs> can handle such a smaller scale. Something to think about.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it truly is nuts what you can use these for I just got back from Tennessee uh, a customer of ours down there that is a was a customer as a drone deer recovery customer and then uh, ended up buying one of these big drones from us and I went down there to train him how to use it he has 1200 acres um, and just like all the food plots and he has big fencing area how you can utilize those drones to you know stay on top of invasives and stuff it's pretty crazy
0: awesome I'd have a patch of knotweed I'd love for you to come spray (laughs) because I've been been doing it on the ground by hand and it has not been a fun project but incidentally I took my little drone which is nothing like your drones by the way and and flew it up above just to see what my progress was and so just being able to see there's just like I'm sure you've sat there and thought about it there's a thousand different things you can do with these things I was thinking about people's you know their pets run away or I mean you can just get into a whole bunch of and those people will pay man like (laughs)
2: It's good that you bring that up. We are uh, we have a whole other division that we haven't released yet to the public. It's going to be called uh, Drone Pet Recovery um, that we'll, we'll have just for that because I, I started getting so many calls to come find a pet. And it, it not just a dog, but like dogs, cats, uh, kangaroo, tortoise, um, <laughs> you name it. People have it and they want them found. So, uh, yeah, that, that'll be a whole separate thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'd charge double what you charge to find a deer because you know, people and their pets, it's like I think they spend more than to find their kids that are out running around. But uh anyway. Hey, so speaking of which, I I, I mentioned the you catching the the uh steer. Well you oh, actually yeah. yeah, you were you were part of it anyway. Um tell us a couple things if if you're willing that may be like some behind the scene things that have happened or anything that's stood out to you that doesn't always necessarily make it on social. Like that would be maybe funny or interesting to people.
2: Okay. Um am trying to think one that's funny. Uh, w- one that my mind goes is not funny. It's more serious about how uh, I, you know, I, I knew that it's going to be one of those things that people want to find lost people. Uh, but I never, Never thought that I would be the guy that would have to come out and try to find a lost person. Uh, Getting those calls is, I want to help, but it's also like, it's borderline scary at times because you don't know what type of situation you're going to get into. Let's see here. Can I think of a, a funny one that I haven't released? I truly, I I think I show most of the stuff that I get into because I do find it interesting. The stuff that I wouldn't show is the more serious stuff. Um, Let I, me right ask now, it to you. I, I'll think about it. Maybe maybe during the conversation, I'll I'll think of a, a funny one. Let me ask it to
0: you this way. And so the the, the doctor and I, we anytime either one of us hits a deer. And we haven't started the track yet. We call each other. It's the first thing we do. And we explain the situation, ask each other the questions that that we know we're going to ask each other, but we ask them anyway and try to help each other out. And uh, so when someone calls you, how often would you say is the case? They explain, hey, I hit this deer. I know it was a double lung hit, yada, yada, yada. We just can't find it. And then you actually locate the deer and it's not anywhere near where they thought they hit the deer.
2: Oh, yeah. I, I definitely made a couple videos about it because it gets super frustrating. Like, people call me and they're like, Yeah, I smoked them, but I, I can't seem to find them. I'm like, Okay, one <laughs> second. Let's just back up. You didn't smoke them. You would not be calling me if, if you would have smoked them. So let's back up and then, then we'll start this conversation over. So, yeah, there's often times when people think that they put a really good hit on him or they think they hit him at a specific spot a lot. Uh, the one that pops up the most is a liver hit. People think mm. uh, that this is a liver hit based on the blood that they found or, or how the deer was, uh, you know, how they were tracking it and where it went. Um, but yeah, I definitely get those. Like, I, I know I hit it here. He's going to be dead. I, I just need to find him. And oftentimes when I do locate that uh, deer, it's like, wait, like, okay, so here's an instant. One guy said, yeah, I hit him in the gut. And I was like, okay, well, hit him in the gut. I'm We're going to find him. Um, ended up looking for about 25 minutes, found him, shot in the front, in the neck. Like, mm. how that, you know, how'd that get to from the gut to the neck of where he thought he hit him? But like I say on these podcasts, oftentimes it's like, when you're in that moment, when you're, you know, about to release an arrow, it's there's so many things that are going through your mind that I, I think there's times when people almost black out.
0: Yeah. The adre- adrenaline is a funny thing. There's no question about it. No question yep. about it. Hey friends, Nick Pinazotto here to tell you about the Ferminator by Renews Outdoor Equipment. When I convinced my wife to buy hunting land, I didn't tell her about this little list I was keeping of must haves to help me manage it. Eventually, she caught on and said if she'd have known about the add-ons, I probably wouldn't have Lehen. Anyway, on the top of my list was the Furminator, which I use for all my food plot work, including disking, seeding, and call-to-packing. I have no idea what I'd do without mine, and I love it. The all-in-one food plot tool comes in several sizes, ranging from a 4-foot ATV model, which I have, up to an 8-foot tractor model that also includes a rototiller. For more information, visit thefurminator.com. The Furminator. Best food plot implement on earth. So whenever you're, I'm always interested in this. You're, you're the calm guy sitting there looking. You're working. You're looking, and the hunters are always like right over your shoulder. You probably it's probably claustrophobic. You got twenty guys like trying to squeeze in behind you. Um, actually, oh, I yeah. just...
2: we're gonna change that this year for sure. I I was in the beginning thinking about getting a TV and setting that up so they're not all over my neck and like breathing like in the beginning i was like oh you know not a big deal but when you start doing it and you're really focused and there's a dude with bad breaths like leaning (laughs) up for that i'm not even joking that actually does happen and so now we got a whole tv kit for them to watch so here you go you know watch it go down but not over my shoulder
0: Well, you're one step ahead of me because I was going to suggest that might be something you do, but so you're getting to the point where you locate the deer, like, does your adrenaline get going too? Do you get just as excited as that hunter whenever you find that deer?
2: Every time, every yeah. time I get, and I, I think that's like, it. what's so cool about it is I get to experience it over and over and over. Like when you hit a deer and you find your deer, you're excited and, you know, now you got to wait till next season or another state or whatever to go experience that, uh, I get to, you know, do it over and over. I did it over 110 times last season.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. You know, Mike, I was just thinking it was just last season that you helped me trail a deer that I didn't even hit. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Speaking of not knowing where you you hit a deer or not, but, uh, anyway, that's a whole other story. (laughs) Um, before we get into some of the things that, um, I mean, controversial is probably the right term just based on how people view this and what you do, because I think it's really important that we go there. I want to ask you a typical evening, first week in November. Like, what does that look like for you?
2: Oh, busy and no sleep. Um, Try to catch some sleep between noon and about 5 p.m. Normally, my well, it's going to be different this year because I have a lot more agents in in to help me with the phones. But it was me on the phone, driving my truck, uh, looking for deer as I'm on the phone and driving the truck at times. It was like just total chaos. I've, I've started at 5 p.m. Uh, one night and didn't return home till the next day at noon because I was out all night looking for deer. Like that happened more than once last season. Without, you know, me trying to really push it, it was just organically like one buddy talks to the next and the next. And uh, it got to the point where it was so unorganized because of how many people were calling me that I, I felt weird because I my other business anywhere tree care. I, I did that all based on customer service, provide great customer service, get back to people, uh, get them on the schedule and that type of thing. But when you start getting hundreds of people calling you and DMs through Instagram and stuff, one guy can't do it all.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that comes through in your videos. I mean, it's, you can tell that it's a gauntlet and, um, you know, it really comes through how just exhausting it can be. So I wanted to make sure we put that out there. All right. So let's, let's get into the other side of this. And so I'll go back to what I said at the beginning when I first saw this, um, I was I was fascinated by it. And then my mind started going to, uh oh, there are yeah. gonna be people out there that don't like this. Yeah. And so I wanna let you explain some of that. And where where I'm getting to is okay, I, someone's gonna see it and they're gonna say, Well, this isn't fair chase. Or someone's mm-hmm. gonna say, Well, all they're gonna do is use that to to relocate a wounded deer and then that person's gonna go out and shoot it, or Just a whole host of of different things. Now, I want to just say, like, for me personally, I feel like a person should exhaust every resource available to them to locate a deer. And and that's all deer. It's not, I get frustrated when people say, well, I just, I hit a doe. Well, no, I mean, that's still a deer (laughs) or an animal that you want to recover. And so, uh, you know, and even from the National Deer Association perspective, um, we want people to recover their deer, obviously. And that's a, that's a, that's a huge part of it. And so I think, I think you're providing a great service, but I want to give you some time to talk about some of the challenges you faced with, with, when you're an innovator, which you are, uh, when you're first to the scene on something, you're going to get, you're going to have to deal with things that nobody else has dealt with yet. And you guys are not just sitting back and taking it. You're sort of being pioneers on, on the uh, legality and sort of legislative front of this. So why don't you talk about that?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So obviously every state uh, that we have had operators pop up in or want to, you know, start in basically like my state of Ohio, when I first talked to a warden, like he was like, no, not legal. And I, I think it's because it's new technology and the easiest way to protect themselves is just to say not legal. Um, and so we're getting that across the states. uh And I think it's because when the laws were written, they weren't written knowing that this technology is coming. So then they are trying to go back on uh, a law that was written for like airplanes and stuff and aiding in in a hunt and misinterpreting is what they're really doing. Um, I would say truly that 98 97 percent of people support it but then you got that that three percent that's just ridiculous like on the internet like saying that this is the dumbest thing ever and stuff but it's like dude if you start talking technology in this industry if we go all the way back the the technology we have now just based on like cell cams like how they can you know send it straight to your phone Um, if people want to talk fair chase i think this is the most ethical ethical way to recover a carcass deer uh, that you can because if if you talk about putting a dog on a trail nothing against dogs i think there's a place for them, but you go in you know if that deer's not dead you're gonna jump him up and he's gonna you know run away but so yeah one state that we're having a big issue with and they just messed up is sending us emails based on how they interpret the law. So, state of Michigan told us, nope, like black and white, you can't do it, illegal. And I wasn't gonna back down on that. I'm like, I believe that you guys are just misinterpreting this. Like, we are not aiding a hunter whatsoever in a hunt. I'm not going to give him a location of a buck that, um, you know, isn't going to die or something like that. So. We had a um, law firm out of California reach out to us, ask if we have any issues with any states with uh, you know pushback on this. And at that time, state of Michigan was one of the the biggest ones we were having issues with. We do have some other ones, but uh, they looked into it, did a lot of research, and they believe that they will win the case uh, based on how they are misinterpreting the law. Um, And so, yeah, we're, we're looking forward to seeing what's going to come out there. But, you know, it it was one of those things that I knew that I'm going to have issues with because it is new technology in the industry. But if, if people just look at it from like, take a little bit of a break, look at it from what the actual intent is. And the intent is to, you know, locate those carcasses, get, get them recovered. If you put a hit on it. You should do everything you can to try to recover it. If you look at it from that perspective, it's going to be good. Now, if we start looking at it from a negative, we can look at anything from a negative. Like, how is it going to affect um, people that want to do bad? They're still going to do bad, even if they Mm -hmm. say it's 100% illegal. So... It's just one of those things. We're going to have to deal with it. We're going to deal with it. And we're going to, you know, we're going to make this uh, mainstream that uh, using a a thermal drone to recover carcass is legal.
1: So, Mike, I want to jump in here really quickly and talk about one more thing that I've noticed when I watch your videos that I'm impressed with, and that is your ability to read, like I'm using the quotes, air, like air quotes here for read, but read the deer's body posture. I mean, it's, I find it interesting where you're, you're actually flying over a woodlot, let's just say, and there are multiple deer in there in your videos, but you're able to, you know, and I'm sure this is from experience, able to all of a sudden hone in on one. And I'm mm-hmm. assuming it's because of how, you know, from your experience, interpreting the, the posture of where how that deer is positioned, and I find that interesting. Was that something that was innate, or was that something that you developed, you know, even though it's only been a very short period of time?
2: I would say it's something that developed. Uh, when I first started, I would look at every deer, but uh, the more deer you found that were wounded, it is just something how a deer carries itself uh, when when it is wounded. even Even if it's a shot that's not going to kill it, the deer will still... Act differently than than ones that haven't been hit. So, uh, with time doing it, uh, you get better on you know if if I if I'm in thermal and I see a, a heat signature, I zoom in. It's gonna right away. I'm gonna know what that posture of that deer is, and to know if I should spend time on it or just keep looking. So, it, it it's it's a little bit takes a little bit, but honestly, with the quality of cameras that we're using, um, what I tell people is when you guys watch it on YouTube or Instagram or wherever, it's like, it's cool. But when you see it in person done, it's like, it's way cool. Mm-hmm. So uh, the quality is there to be able to see exactly what it is that we need to see.
1: Yeah, that's something that really, and I don't know, you know how people watch it, but I mean, I watch things very critically all the time. And that was something that really stuck with me and where I could identify that, wow, you're really able to very, very quickly weed through that haystack to find what you're looking for. And that's yep. impressive.
2: Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate that.
0: So one one final thing. So I want you to take us through the process. Okay. Let's say Mike has shot a deer, he's uncertain about the hit his, his first attempt at recovery. He gave well, why up why is on. it me?
1: Well <laughs> why do
0: because I I already because I already gave up that I had a trail a deer <laughs> that I didn't even hit last year. So I mean, you know. Uh anyway uh, so he calls you up. What's, what's the process? Take us through step, uh, A to Z on this.
2: Yeah. So I would uh, want them to go to the website first and there's a form. If you hit a deer, when you click on there that you're looking to recover a deer, it's going to ask you when you hit it. Uh, it's some details of how far did you track it and that type of thing. But after that, I'm going to get your uh, phone number and I'm going to call you up and then you and I are just going to talk about, you know, the scenario what what went down did you jump the deer did you see him how did it act when it was walking away and i think more of that information that data is for me personally to collect as we you know build this thing and then try to as we you know have more and more come in we can go back and be like well he said he was quartered away and he had this type of blood and this and that so Basically, that's a conversation that's just building rapport with the hunter because I I truly do care, you know, how how this went down and uh, I want to help him get it. So once we get that, I will schedule me coming out to um, start looking for your deer. When I get there, we're going to pull out a phone and you're going to show me on an aerial map of where you uh, hit him, where you think he went, where you tracked him. And then that's gonna give me an, an idea of where I'm gonna launch the drone into to start looking. And I'll, I'll launch the drone into that area. We'll we'll canvas that area. If we don't seem to find them right away in that area, I will uh, basically just start flying grid patterns with the drone down, You know, go 10 feet over, come straight back. And we can be super accurate with the drone because everything is GPS tracked. So we can see exactly where the drone has already flown And uh, so we can uh, basically, instead of having a bunch of buddies walk through the woods and kind of, you know, zigzag back and forth, this is a straight line down, you know, and a straight line back. And we just start, you know, looking across the area like that. Every heat signature we come across, we zoom in, see if it's the deer or not. And if it's not, we keep on moving.
1: So, Mike, when you're uh, flying or or piloting, what height? typically are you flying at uh three
2: 394 feet above the ground is is where i like to be uh there's times when uh, it, it looks like i'm higher because i might have launched down in a valley and i had to go up a you know 200 foot uh, hill or something like that and then the altitude might read higher but above the ground we're at 394 there are scenarios where i i come down and stuff but for the most part that's where we would like to be at
0: so how many times has it happened that someone has had you come out and it turns out you find a deer in a spot that they had already walked through and just missed it?
2: Oh, yeah. All the time. Um, um, as a brush is so thick, like literally uh, they were, you know, maybe 10 feet next to it, uh, but didn't have blood. But then they were just, you know, aimlessly walking around seeing if they can find it. Um, So, yeah, that 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 happens. There's one that I think I put it on no, it probably didn't make it on YouTube, but it was an ideal morning. It was raining and the, the buck actually had already died the night before. And, um, with rain, it's just ideal conditions. I launched the drone and not even 10 minutes. I found them. They're like, what? We walk right past there. And <laughs> when, we, when we went there and they recovered the carcass, it's like, was a, uh, an old logging road. And they walked right down the logging road. And I'm talking like, Dude, I could have just jumped and been right on top of him, but he was in that big old thick brush pile and you could not uh, you couldn't see through it. So yep, that happened.
1: Well that was like that time Nick, that we were looking for your doe and she was down in this little it was literally a a four foot by four foot bowl that was literally, what, 12, 16 inches deep with mm. brush with, you know, vegetation around it. We I had to step up over and look down in there and there she was. I mean, yep. it's weird how they just happened to find these little pocket. So Mike, I have a question. My last question for you is how long after a deer has expired, is it still giving off an adequate heat signature where you can still identify it using thermal?
2: Yeah. So that question, uh, we have to go to the outside air temperature. And so the outside air temperature varies a lot in season. I like to say, let's say the temperature is between 30 to 40 degrees Fahrenheit. That's where it's been in for the the last forty eight hours, um, if you shot your deer and it's been that temperature, it's not unheard of to find your deer forty eight hours after the hit. Okay. Um, you know, we don't. I don't have the data because i I haven't tested it yet. But I haven't like killed a deer and then left it lay and then see what the temperatures look like as you know the time progresses. It just wouldn't be something that I'd want to do. Um, right. We have, we've talked about, you know, if, if we see a a deer get killed on like the road and get a carcass um, salvage tag like that and do it, but we haven't done that yet. Uh, But me personally, I have found one 36 hours after. Mm
1: -hmm. Very cool. It's good information. Very cool.
0: Too busy recovering deer to do science, (laughs) (laughs) which is good for business. But uh Well, Mike, thank you very much for doing this. I want to tell uh, folks, you can learn a lot more about Drone Deer Recovery. If you're not already following them on uh, YouTube in particular, check it out. Uh, Like, Go back and watch some of the videos. Pretty cool stuff. But you're also on uh, Facebook, Instagram. And
2: do you have TikTok as well? Yep, yep, we have TikTok. TikTok did not like... uh, TikTok loved us in the beginning, but then when I started showing carcasses, they were like giving me all types of strikes. And so, uh, and like, I think it was... Three or four weeks, I grew to 60,000 followers, and then I got some strikes, and then it just like <laughs> breaks one.
0: Jeez. Some of the stuff you can see on TikTok, and they're upset about showing us some deer carcass. This is unbelievable. <laughs> oh, Crazy. my goodness.
2: Crazy. Yeah.
0: yeah. All right. Well, Mike, thank you so much for being on. We appreciate it, folks. Uh, look up drone deer com, And uh, hey, maybe I, I know there's a lot of areas on that map of the country. Uh, where Mike could use some coverage. So maybe you could be a fit for his team as well. And so you can look into
2: that. Yeah. I appreciate it. Something that we didn't talk about is the whole herd analysis thing that we also do. We could, uh, we could probably get into that at some point on another podcast if you want to.
0: Yeah, that actually, that would be good. Yeah. Let's, let's plan to do that. Alrighty. All right, Mike. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. I know there are naysayers about drone deer recovery. I've seen them. I've seen them in the comments. Um, they're few and far between though, thankfully. And and my view is you should exhaust every effort you can to recover a deer buck doe. I get frustrated when I hear people say, well, I just hit a doe. I mean, it's still, it's, this is an animal that you choose to shoot at. So uh, I think they should exhaust every effort to do that. Um, And so I'm all for what Mike is doing. And I think also one thing I'll add is he's, he's willing to fight the bigger fight to make this legal in more places, which I think is cool. He's not just sitting back on his laurels and you know, just saying, well, I'm going to get mine until they outlaw this. And I also think that bad guys are going to do bad things, right? So if you have someone that wants to use a drone to try to take an advantage, take advantage of wildlife, they're probably already doing it. So uh, there's not much we can do about that. So that's my take. What do you think?
1: I agree. I I mean, for the people that actually throw shade at somebody for trying to recover their deer, I'm going to have to say, I, I usually am not Too polarized in my opinions, but I'm going to have to say shame on them because literally you're saying that you'd be happier to allow that deer to go to waste than feed somebody's family. Because, like I said, like you were saying, it's not all about bucks and does, and that's something that you know I think that people need to realize is that anytime that you actually harvest a deer, you're taking that the responsibility of taking on that animal's life. We're taking you know, you've taken that animal's life and. Hooray for the people that actually are going to the nth degree paying the money because this isn't free to actually recover the deer for whatever reason trophy, you know, non trophy, but the whole point is, is that To let something go to waste is, in my opinion, is always a shame, whether that be The deer itself food, something that you buy that you never use and you just throw it away versus donating it. It's just we have to be better. We just have to be better
0: hundred percent. And yeah, so uh, check Mike out if you have, we we gave it to you on the, on the show there where you can find it, but definitely check out his YouTube channel and I think you'll be convinced and it's pretty cool. Also, they're expanding across the country. So if it's something you're interested in, you're into drones, you want to do this, you might have an opportunity So, check it out. Mike, a few updates for me. Um, I'm noticing on my cameras that uh, probably 75% of the bucks are now out of velvet. So that's exciting. You you see these deer in velvet, and you always wonder what they're going to look like whenever they shed. And so I, I have to say, I'm probably overall pleasantly surprised. Deer look pretty good. Food plots are looking nice and green, despite the little heat wave we had. Uh, but I have to say, in recent memory, I, other than a few little tweaks I need to do, I'm I'm ready to go here when the Pennsylvania season opens. Like I feel like if it started tomorrow, I'd be ready.
1: And that's a good place to be. Uh, I I will have to say that. Uh, I would disagree with that because of the conversation, the text conversation we were having the other morning, I'm going to tell on you, but you still have not created or confirmed your hit list yet, but I know that should be a, <laughs> a dynamic you know, a dynamic thing as the season progresses anyways. But um, Nick last year said, I'm going to create a hit list next year and I'm sticking to it. So I'm calling him out right now to make sure that he gets his act together and gets his hit list tightened up. But with that being said, um, I'm actually excited. Uh I am actually uh, very pleased to announce that we are reinvigorating and reorganizing our co-op up here in the Finger Lakes of New York. Um, And I've been a really big part of that uh, myself and several other people, the original uh, co-op organizer and the current co-op organizer myself and we brought in a couple other people to try and share the load but I'm taking care of Communications, data collection, and and data analysis. If that you know surprises you, which I'm sure it doesn't. Shock. But um, but yeah, we're we're having our first uh, meet and greet here, September 23rd, up in the Finger Lakes area. So, um, very excited about that. If you're listening to this and you are in the the Finger Lakes area, more specifically the Western Finger Lakes, and you want to uh, show up just to see what we have going on, um, I'm sure you can reach out to Nick, and then he can just feed that to me. Shameless plug there, but. Uh, I'm really excited about that because the the co-op uh, was starting to kind of um, slow down a little bit. We were we weren't uh, didn't have the organization that we had when it was originally put together, and so I'm glad to be a part of revitalizing that. So uh, I have two plots that are up and growing and ready to go. I have two more to plant, and I'm going to get that done first thing tomorrow morning, and I'm done. I'm in the ground, and we have uh, several consistent days of rain coming, so should be good.
0: Well, that's it. That is exciting news. Yeah. You and I hadn't even talked about that. So that's good. Glad to hear the co-ops up and going uh, and you are the perfect person to be in that position. So even better yet, I hope those guys understand what they're going to get now with all this. So uh, all the, all the detailed analytics and whatnot, but that's a good thing. And yeah, hey, several days of rain, that's really the key, right? Uh, you can be the best uh, farmer in the world. If you don't have rain, you don't have plants. And so you have this mini heat wave blowing through once it's Uh, once it's through, it does look like there's a lot of rain on the horizon, at least for the Northeast. So hopefully for you, wherever you're listening, you got the same situation. All right. Hey, just a couple NDA announcements here, and uh, we'll go ahead and call it a show. These are important though, and exciting. So one of them is our super popular Ferminator Sweepstakes has just launched. And so you get a lot with this one. And this is one of the reasons it's so popular. We spice it up. We make it cool. We give you a lot of reasons to get in. So one ticket for this thing, 75 bucks, 325 And you might say, well, that seems steep. All right. So first of all, you're going to get with that purchase a premium membership with your ticket purchase. Now, if you say, I'm already a premium member, uh, that's great. We'll just add tack on another year. So you get that no matter what. Uh, for every hundred tickets we, sold, we sell, we're going to draw a mystery gun, and these are nice guns. Okay, these aren't the mystery gun that you can pick up at you know 250 bucks at the at the uh, hardware store. Okay, these are nice guns. So we're going to give away one of those for every hundred sold. Uh, also, I did a little promo on this one because the, uh, the little promo video that you'll you'll see if you're following our social channels. Because I own one of these Ferminators, the exact model that we're giving away. And so I tell you a little bit about it in the video, but I'll also invite you, if you have questions, you're thinking about buying tickets, uh, just email me, nickatdeerassociation.com. I'll tell you anything you want to know about the Ferminator. I've been extremely pleased with mine. And uh, like I said, the model we're giving away is the one that I have. Oh, by the way, you support the National Deer Association, whether you win or not. So that's the name of the game. So we appreciate that. Also, NDA content right now is through the roof this time of year. As you imagine, we're getting into hunting season. Our channels are buzzing like crazy. Everything's wide open. Uh, We have our weekly newsletter that comes out every Thursday. It doesn't cost you a thing. You can sign up for that. Loaded with good deer hunting content right now our Twitter account or X, whatever it's called these days. I don't know. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, we, we put articles up on there constantly, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. This is just the time of year to be following the National Deer Association, because really this is, this is our Super Bowl. This is our time of year, but uh, there's too many great articles that to mention right now, and there's no paywalls. It wasn't, won't cost you anything to read our content. So please do that. Hey, folks, I know we've got hunting seasons opened up in some parts, parts of the country, and others are soon to follow. Send us your hunting photos. Send us your stories. And, heck, we might even have you as a guest here on the show. We'd love to have you on to tell your story. With that, folks, thanks again for listening. We do appreciate it. National Deer Association, where we are united for deer.